Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we are presenting our first Faith for All discussion podcast where the topic, Why is Secular Music in Our Church?, is discussed by several church members. Hello and welcome to the Faith for All podcast. Uh, Tonight we're having our first discussion podcast and the topic of this podcast is secular music in a sacred worship space. I'd like to go around the table and start with introductions. Hi, uh, my name is Dana O'Brien. I'm the pastor here at Cross of Glory Lutheran Church and we play a mix of of secular and sacred music pretty much every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, My name is Todd Mazzara. I'm the music director. I am the person who plays all of these songs from a variety of different sources. I'm Michael O'Malley. I'm a practically 15-year member of the Prosperity Church and uh, an occasional band member under Todd. I'm Andy Morin. I'm a 20-plus-year member of Prosperity Church, a former minority male member of a children's choir, children's church choir, and uh, nowadays I mostly run the stream, uh, the video stream that goes to the socials and the, the other, other the internet. I'm Nicole Moran. I'm one of the members of the preaching and assisting team. And so I occasionally ask the band to help me out in supporting my sermons by playing a certain song for me. So let's start this out. Let's start this with Todd. What is the difference between sacred music and secular music? <laughs> oh, that is like so, so loaded. I, I think we need to break it down in, in simpler terms. First of all, Let's talk about why we, we do any kind of what's quote-unquote uh, secular music during the church. We do it so that um, people, when they hear a song at church and then hear it out in the real world, are connecting the two. So they're realizing that church is with you. Church is out there. It's not just inside the building. And our attempt is to really infuse the things that you've learned on Sunday into your Tuesday life into your Thursday life so that uh, we're kind of breaking down that um, breaking out of that box of keeping church separate. Dana, you, you look like you, you have a question you're going to say here. You started where I thought we were going to end up. Okay, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's the podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us. Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to look, okay, we're, we're not just playing secular music because we like, because so, yeah. we do. We're playing secular music with a defined purpose, and that purpose is all centered around a message that we are delivering on Sunday that hopefully everybody can take out with them. And should they, during the course of the week, as happens to many of us, well, it definitely happens to me, kind of forget, you know, in the middle of a traffic jam or whatever, I need to be Christian here, not what I'm tempted to be so and then when you hear that song on the radio or on a, a favorite p- playlist it comes up and you're like oh we just talked about this on sunday you know what i know where i need to be that's that's why we're doing secular music on sundays one thing that i had read and this was uh, was from a credit a critic of secular music this person believed the churches that do this are doing it as a recruitment tool which you know i can't speak for all churches i, I can speak for us we, we're not very good at recruiting already, but <laughs> if we were, that would not be our method. We're actually doing this to fuel, spiritually fuel our people to go out into the world, to just take it with us. Interesting point, Todd. Yeah, I, 
looking back 14, 15 years ago when I first came here, just because you guys were playing secular music even back then. That wasn't why we joined, my wife and I joined, but it did contribute to it because it made us feel more uncomfortable. Because hearing songs that I would listen to on my spare time, any, any morning, not a Sunday morning, but any morning, any evening, actually made me feel more at home here. So, yeah, it did work in a little bit. Wow, sense. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I, guess, I guess in a matter of speaking, it wouldn't be that way. What do you guys think? I tend to agree. I think... Uh... There is a lot of specifically sacred music that gets watered down. It doesn't have the same punch as a well-produced pop song or a, a well-thought-out, a well-rehearsed deep cut yeah. you know, of the sort that, we, that, that you are really good at choosing. So. I think I just, I really like hearing songs that I know and finding out more about them. Like, I like when... Todd, when you do the message and you tell us about people, like you did recently with um, a bunch of secular artists, and how they're actually, their Christianity influenced their music, and their music is mainstream, and people don't realize just that they're getting a message that's truly a, a church message from these secular artists. So I, I like doing that, and I, I think I like, too, just having it follow me out through the week hearing it, like you said, on the radio pop-on. Because every so often, that reminder comes just when you need to hear it. And it was that song you heard in church, and you're driving, and you're, or you're you know, with your kids, or whatever, and you, the, the song comes on with the message that like God's like, hey, <laughs> you remember I told you guys about this? And it's that little tap on the shoulder to remind you when that song actually plays, that sometimes that's your sign. Well, that you know, I'm, I'm for. really glad you mentioned that because there was one thing that I, I really haven't discussed and I should have discussed it with you, Dana, because we talk about everything. When I talk about artists, Christian artists who, who produce or create secular music, there are artists that create Christian-influenced music. Um, I'm thinking of Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins had a, has a Christian upbringing, perhaps, or maybe, maybe Catholic upbringing, and does reflect some of those values in in his music, but not in a positive way, not in a way that, that says this is a Christian value. So I think, and I wanted to bring that up because it opens the door between our original question, what is secular music, what is Christian music, and where's the divide? And is there a divide? Is right? there a divide? And should, like and should there be a divide? Yeah. And so, and that's going, I mean, that's an argument or a discussion that you we hear a lot in you know in podcasts and in emails that go across my my come across my desk is christian music does it depend on whether it's a christian artist that does it or does it depend on the words is it possible for a christian artist to do secular music what about artists that do a mix of both and, and when and I, and I think the problem is trying to label them and when you start when you start labeling something secular or christian you you inherently lose the focus on on what's being said Mm -hmm. uh, what's the motivation for saying it? How does it move people? And and where's God working in in this music? And when you and when you label it that way, um, we're we're losing. I mean, if if you're only going to play Christian music, you're losing you're losing a lot of opportunity to hear God talk, and that's sad. I think. But I think too, you have to. There's a divide even amongst worship music. Are you talking hymns? Like, do you need to sing only old traditional hymns? Or is this, you know, new Christian rock that's out? Is that okay? Is that, does that still count as Christian? You know, so 
Whereas I think there's even churches where there is a divide between are you a hymn church or are you the rock and roll church? Do you only go to the, the 8 o'clock services, the hymn service, the 9.30 is where the rock and rollers come, the 5 o'clock on Saturday is a free-for-all? You know, what, what kind of music are you going to play when? Because is it even allowed to play together? But, but we know that, that when you get deep down, the, the, what people are really saying is, are you playing the music that I listened to in worship when I was growing up? And are you using the same instruments that we've always used historically? And that's what people want to hear. But, well, or depending upon if you are someone who's left a church, you may not say you were at a hymn church growing up and that has left a bad taste in your mouth. You hear a hymn because I've had people who I know who can't hear a hymn because of how that Im impacted them. You know, whatever their Christian experience was growing up was negative, And those hymns are a reminder to them of how the pain that they had with from their experiences. I mean, that's, and that's a really good point, because one of the comments that I heard here a lot um, in, in arguing against the use of secular music is that many people associate a, a particular secular song with something that's not at all Christian. And so we need to be aware of that and not play those songs so that people don't end up making associations that are non-Christian in the middle of a worship song. But what they forget is that an equal number, well, maybe not an equal number, but a significant number of people have bad associations with Christian music, with hymns. Um, and, and so if we, if, if we spend our time trying to play only songs that comfort people, We're going to have a really small repertoire of songs. Just Amazing Grace all week long. And, and, well, you know, and, and we don't... <laughs> no, no, because Amazing Grace, for years and years, I could not sing or hear without crying because the last time I had sang it was at my dad's funeral. Mm -hmm. And for years after, that was I was able to sing it straight through then at his funeral. That was the last time I could sing it without crying. So it was until I was pregnant with, I think, my second one, because I would sing it to Meredith when I was putting her to bed. Yeah, and that and that's really tough. Um, but what what part of what we want to do in the music that we play is to refrain, so that instead of of an association, a bad association that somebody has with a secular song, they now associate with it. They they say, hey, wait, we we played that in worship. There's there's something to this song. There's more than just what I thought it was. And and the and the key is to ask the question, why? Why are they playing? We played a song just a few weeks ago from the old hymn days that you added a little guitar to it and changed it. I can't think of the name of it right now. You, we've done it a few times. Um, maybe three, four weeks ago? They'll know we are Christians. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I don't think that's the one. No, no, that's not the one. It's a different one. Oh. Oh, gosh. I can't think of the name. But it was a hymn back in my early Catholic school days, and we used to sing this. I know they'll know we are Christians by our love is one that, that we do. And it's it's not a, not a version that, that it was original to us. It's a version that uh, I heard uh, an artist named Mark Schwartz do yeah. and kind of kind of carried a version of his version of it. It's like a remix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a... You know, it's interesting about, you know, about their associations. You know, when you mentioned, Nicole, that churches sometimes have, you know, one... One service or master or whatever is for your rock and roll little, little, little guitar thrown in there, and the other one's the hymns. When, when I was growing up in the 70s in Catholic Church, we had that. We had like the six o'clock Saturday was guitar mass, and Sunday, yeah, and Sunday was all the hymns. So we always went Saturday. 
I mean, even my parents just naturally gravitated towards guitar mass. They were still hymns for the most part, but they were done to acoustic guitar. Not like what we have, not keyboard, electric, and drums, but they were still done to guitar. But there are some songs that even way back then, Bob Dylan, turn, 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 mm -hmm. that we would sing in church. The bird. That doesn't necessarily, well, didn't Dylan write it originally? The bird made a hit it's, out of it. It's, it's yes. from the Proverbs yes. or? It was already. It's been Bird's made a career out of redoing Bob Dylan songs, essentially. But that always stuck with me as being a church song after that. But it was never intended to be a church song. But it actually has a very Christian theme to it. It's, the it's a good association in that case. Well, I, you know what? Uh, we had this discussion yesterday. Was it yesterday morning? Sure. Was, I'm yes, asking, it was. Okay, because time, time is a construct. Uh, <laughs> so um, we... Uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes um, uh, view, the pastor and I and who is whoever is giving the sermon that week will meet on Tuesdays to discuss the, the theme, what's going to happen, and try to identify songs that fit it. The bulk of what we do are going to be, they're going to be contemporary Christian or even uh, every now and then a uh, hymn because they have a very strong God message behind them. And we try to incorporate at least one secular song that also sees up a positive message. This week, because we were talking about sinners and sin, it was a little bit tougher. And one of the songs that was mentioned, we, we talked about doing, but just, I just, you know, as part of our list of songs, we just had to eliminate it simply because at no point did that song have a redeem, a, a message of redemption or a message of, you know, you're coming out of sin, um, which was, you know, the whole kind of, vibe we're, we're kind of shooting for with these songs. And when you're putting together your messaging, I think you're still making these value decisions about what's what's going to fit the message, what works well, what doesn't. Right. You can. There are definitely secular songs that you could never bring into church without making changes. I, one, of, one of the notes I've made for tonight is to discuss uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think I you may have actually produced or uh, performed it as written here once or twice but because usually David. especially yeah. especially when certain players are in the band it has to be done with the new lyrics that actually aren't critical yeah. of god right. but i think that you know and that's that's the other thing and that's where it becomes really difficult because david is critical of god in so many situations and 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 just belligerent against god and just and and i think that the whole story of David is really meant to, to tell us, you know what, God is there to love you and forgive you, um, even when you're a jerk like David, even when, you know, hey. Well, but I mean, think of the Psalms. The Psalms were the right. early church's hymn book, and, and the Psalms are full of, of laments and, and, and lines that are, are pretty darn critical of God. Like, where the heck are you? you Why haven't you struck down my enemy? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> We know that God, God's pretty tough and God can handle um, our anger and our lament and, and in songs that don't always reflect a, a happy, a happy, positive view. Um, so I, I don't right. know that that would be a reason in and of itself. But on that, we know that this is the case, but when you're talking about a message that you're trying to convey to an entire congregation on Sundays, it's really hard to make sure that that message doesn't inadvertently, as you mentioned, slip into this, this, this negative some people are just going to go down that path, and you don't want to give them 
fueled. You got to explain it. It's, it's got to come with an explanation. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Is there a reason we're not mentioning the song that was rejected? Oh, um, only the good die young. Right. Wow. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Yeah, which yeah. was it is on point. It was all about sinners. Oh yeah, but it's we definitely about sinners. Any, we couldn't find any. We couldn't find It didn't. It didn't take us where we wanted to go. There's so, no alternate lyrics that get you to a happy place. No, so, yeah. yeah. So if I had been preaching and he had suggested that as a response song, I would have said no way. Yeah. But if Billy Joel is listening, it is a good song. It is a good song. I love that. Yeah. Under Pressure by uh, Dead Boeing Queen has a lot of very dark, dark lyrics coming down to the end where why, until it resolves with, why can't we give love one more chance? And it kind of brings it back to this, this really positive, and that was a, a strong considering a consideration of, but we came up with a much better song for this Sunday. There you go. So, and that will be a surprise on Sunday. <laughs> now, one of the other reasons we, we find ourselves using secular songs, I don't know, maybe, Todd, maybe we aren't looking hard enough. When we peruse um, at least the primary secular songs that we have available or that we see out there. Um, so many of them are written by an individual to God, speaking about an individual relationship between God and that individual. The individual gives glory, God does saving acts and whatnot. Um, and we often talk about about the relationship we have with others. I mean, this, that second command, you know, you love God and you also love each other. It's really hard to find Christian, Christian contemporary music where the primary focus is on loving Each others. Other, right. So so a couple of weeks ago, we had to do a bunch of songs. What did, what we did, uh, uh, Lean on Me, on me. we and, did uh, your, uh, the Natalie King one about friends, I'm your friend, what did it Oh, uh, come on. Carol, Carol, Carol King. Okay, come on, guys, I, <laughs> Carol I don't King. sing. Um, uh, and then, you've got a friend. Yeah. Well, and I would have said that was James Taylor. It is so a James I, Taylor. I had, to be, I had to be taught that it was Carol okay. King originally. But I mean, we had to go to those because we were, I mean, they said what we needed to be said. I mean, those are those are Christian me messages there. And and they were in a quote unquote secular song. And that's, that brings us right back to the, uh, you know, what is the, what, you know, what is the divide? What is the difference between secular and non secular? If you're going to have people come to you and be critical of it, say, oh, you know, I don't want you to play non-Christian music, you're going to have to find a definition of, okay, which is which music is non-Christian? Does it mean, is it really about the intent? Is it about the artist? Is it about the body of work that they've created? What makes something not Christian from somebody who, who normally is Christian or vice versa? Dagle. Yeah, and I was going to mention. Great but crossover, well-loved by millions, and yet we know her as a Christian artist. I guess I don't know enough about Lauren Daigle to, to speak to her specifically, but I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about any of the the major artists' life. The one that keeps le leaping to mind is Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Are you gonna Are you gonna bring Black Sabbath into a church, even well, even knowing that any of the songs would have redeeming value? You've got this baggage from you know black masses. Deserve the baggage. I, I, I agree. You know, yeah, yeah, it may not be the best example. Ozzy is not a terrible person. But okay, so I don't know anything about Black Sabbath, so they wouldn't have any baggage for me. Right. But once you heard the songs, you would you would recognize. Yeah, but if I mean if I, if I read the songs and I go, well, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't conveying the message that we want to convey here. Then I don't care who's singing it. Uh, exactly. I, I think you know uh, in the I guess for for context, as as we were preparing for this discussion. We were half-jokingly discussing needing a devil's advocate, and I raised my hand to, to do that, and I wrote everyone a, a, a significant text <laughs> from the position of an attorney representing Beelzebub himself. 
uh, and and at the time my client was was strongly in favor of having secular music in church for his own reasons. And I guess I, I really phrased it in a way that was made it difficult to fight against. But then Todd came back and said, you really can't define music as secular or non-secular. You know, the intent of the song in the church, in the moment, is, is what counts. Exactly. Music is a conversation between the artist and the uh, aficionado, the listener, the, the person. All art is a conversation between the artist and, and, and the viewer or listener. And those conversations are unique to each individual listener and, and obviously each player. So if a Christian band gets up there and plays Megadeth. With the intention of right. well, Megadeth, glorifying whatever. Glorifying God. Yeah. Well, well, Megadeth well, and, is, or the relationships between us. And, right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Megadeth has a, um, a name that sounds like they would be horrible. They're not. They're a you know, very Christian-valued band. But you wouldn't know it by the band's name. You know, or their image. Right. But again, once you, when you get into the details of making the music, it's not as destructive as their marketing might lead you to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a definition of secular music. It's the marketing around some of the music. It's the image that has made people think that something is far removed from any church or any kind of spirituality. You look at uh, a lot of these bands that came out of the 70s and 80s. Well, you know, name any one of them. I think we play the Beatles here quite often. There's a lot of relevant messages to church. Yes. But they're by no stretch in anyone's mind a churchy band, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that goes the same for, I mean, just because they're pop rock, whatever, classic rock. It goes the same for heavy metal, for for punk rock. There, all these different genres have plenty of. I mean, there is an entire genre of Christian punk music out there, yeah. and metal as well. And there's there's a, a responsible secular punk like Straight Edge that that is all yeah. about yeah. You know, living a clean, uh, yeah. you know, substance free life, etc. But you know, is that Christian? No, it's not intended to because the artist doesn't intend it to be, and the listeners generally are not listening from that vantage point. It seems like. In the case of contemporary music in church, it's really about the church itself, the people inside, and the uh, the bands, the performers, the pastors, etc. And the God we worship. And always the God we worship, yeah, because always. God is bringing everything together. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, one of the one of the critiques I've heard, um, and I think I think this is I think this just limits God in a fashion that that I used to adhere to, but no longer do. The purpose of, of worship, and you know, we all need to think about what it is, is to glorify God and to form us as Christians. And I'll, I'll go with that. The, the reader, or the, the author of this particular release, was, um, then took that in a very limiting fashion and said that you know, we only glorify God by singing praises literally to God. But really, we're Lutheran. And so you know, Luther's kind of famous for breaking down some of those distinctions between secular and sacred in the context of, of, you know, the priesthood of all believers. We can all go directly to God. We don't need to go through a mediator. In the context of vocation, all work is is sacred work. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, there's not religious work and then other work that's somehow lesser. I'm guessing that Luther would have would have been unhappy with a, a distinction between sacred and, and secular music as well because God works. I mean, we know we have a big, big God, and God works through all kinds of music. And when we can when we can find God 
in different secular or, or sacred music. That's the key. Um, and, 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 and you said it right in the beginning. If our goal is to play a certain kind of music that we play one hour every day and then we influence somebody for the rest of their life, you know, for those 177 hours that are left during the week, we're not going to be able to do that. But, but if we can play music that they hear all the time, all over the place, and now we frame it into something that, that all of a sudden is, is God going with them out into the world, and, and they hear it just as you did, and, and at a time when they need to hear it, they go, yeah, God is, God is here, God is in this. Um, God isn't limited to a certain space or a certain type of music or a certain type of language or a certain type of vocation. God is, God is so much bigger than that. And that's really what, we, what we're trying to do. We may do outreach by, you know, by mistake or inadvertently, <laughs> but when I, when I think about our, our secular music, we're speaking to Christians, and I'm trying to expand, we're trying to expand their understanding of how big this God is, not limited to a space or a type of music or a type of people or all over. Yeah, I think that's a real good point. I, you know, it reminds me of a quote I believe you made a couple of weeks ago, Andy. All music is God's music. And I thought immediately, wow, I completely agree with that statement. It doesn't matter how violent the music may be, but if you find some kind of, let's say, non-violent, non-criminal inspiration from it, of course it serves a God, God's purpose, right? It brings you out of a bad mood. It makes you, you know, release energy, negative energy, whatever the case will be. I use the violent music really to get rid of all the negative thoughts. So how is that not serving God's purpose? To me, it's all the same. I don't know that I'd go quite that far, but... but, but. <laughs> I, I remember, I read The Shack years ago, and in there, I forget which of the Trinity characters it was that was talking to the, the main character guy, and there was music playing, and it was some, a rap artist. And, you know, the, the, the God character was, you know, singing along, and he's like, you like rap music? And she's like, yeah, it's, he's using his gift. This is beautiful. I'm, I'm so happy my child is using their gift to share it with the world. So, yes, I think it's, we've all been given gifts. Some of us can sing it like Todd does. Others of us like to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's now a bad time to bring up the insane clown prophecy. <laughs> what, what are some reasons that you guys can think of why we wouldn't want to play, quote, secular music in church, and what would be the arguments against those reasons? You know what, even even though I made a statement that all music is God's music, there is music that's not appropriate for church. Uh, let's, let's be honest here. Uh, there are groups out there that are way too extreme for any any public gathering, much less a gathering in church. Yeah. Not, not, let's be honest, not all music is appropriate, but a lot of it is. So yeah, there, there, there's like everything. It's not black and white. There's gray areas. There's there's things that just will never never fit. What? Well, I think, I think, all of it. When, I think when the music uh, counter talks the message of that day. You know, when we we did uh, famously within within well between you and I, famously between two people, um, <laughs> <laughs> we did uh, a sermon on on hell um, a couple of years ago, and we incorporated Hotel California. Yeah. Uh, in that service, and that caused a hubbub, it, because that song is literally about hell. But it was consistent with the message of that day, and and what was going on, and it was consistent with with what God had to show us and teach us that day. It wasn't something where we just started playing some random song about hell. What we were talking about the kingdom of God here on earth, that would have been wrong, backwards, counterintuitive, and therefore. Um, inappropriate for 
church. Well, for that church, for that worship for, service. For that service, yeah, right. Worship, yeah. yeah. For the church. I would argue, by, uh, I forget who, who brought this up to me. Uh, there's an episode of South Park where one of the characters learns that you can take any song, yeah. any love song, and make it about Jesus, and yeah. now you're now you're now it's Christian music. That was but, the, but it, yeah, it was I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to go too far in the names. I don't know where we're at on copyright as far as that. Um, <laughs> how many Cartmans are there in the world? And, and you can definitely take it too far. I, I, I can think of at least half of Led Zeppelin's catalog that is just too focused on lust. Yeah, and how are you going to bring? You know, there are definitely aspects of that you couldn't bring to the church. We're talking about Hallelujah, and David's story is this crazy story of, of not only lust but betrayal, and, and and David himself being the betrayer, not like oh he was hurt. No, no, he was the guy doing this stuff. So, in the right setting, perhaps a song about lust would fit in if the message were understood commonly by the entire group. I was hoping you'd go there. Yeah, yeah. that would be a song that would need an explanation. We wouldn't just let it hang. But I think uh, if you go to like the now I'm going to go to the Simpsons, Reverend Reverend Lovejoy, where you know, and, or or the or the or, the, or, or the, the awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that's where a lot of the best social. Unfortunately, a lot of the best social commentary comes from okay. places that uh, you know the storylines are too extreme to be done live action, and so you have to put it in the mouth of a cartoon in order for it to even spoken out loud. And then uh, I also think of the, the plot device in Footloose where they're not allowed to dance, which I'm not sure if that's a real religious thing or that not. The 80s, that was actually yeah, a stick at a time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, there, there are definitely people out there that would argue that the, the lustful aspects of dancing to music is inappropriate for church. And so in answer, this is just answer, in answer to uh, the most recent question from Jeff. What are your arguments against secular music at church? Well, which you have already begun to answer, like I said. So that's why I brought up the lust to begin with. It was, what do you have to leave out? Revenge. Well, I think short of just direct blasphemy, I think, you know. Okay, well, uh, I didn't even think of that. Because, yeah, there's, I think of Morrissey, XTC. XTC, yeah. I forget. What did Morrissey ever do to you? Well, uh, here's the thing. I, I come from a place... Far from Christian music, and XTC, XTC had the Dear God song, or was yeah, that Morrissey yeah, himself? Yeah. You know, again, directly confronting the concept of God itself. But as a that song, oh, great! I'm glad you brought that up because I love that song. Um, the the speaker mm -hmm. is in this case David. The speaker in that song is asking God, "Why aren't you here for this and this and this?" The speaker is a believer, clearly. Because he's talking to God, or she, or you know, yeah. right? Yeah, it, yeah. The, yeah. The speaker says they don't believe, right? But here you are talking to them. I get you yeah. exactly. So it is part. I think that that song speaks great to the challenge a lot of us have, a lot of Christians have, with how we deal with our faith in light of a world that is broken, and uh, that's just a great example. So would I do that song? Yes. Thanks for bringing it up. It's in, <laughs> it's on, it's in the rotation. <laughs> there, there can be no faith without doubt. Yeah, I right. think is an important point that a lot of people miss, yeah, especially in the you can't dance, you can't mm -hmm. sing you know, in church. You know, the, the, the music has to be well, specifically <laughs> secular or uh, sacred. Yeah. 
What would we say to someone who says, well, rock and roll music was born in the crossroads. The devil made a deal with Robert Johnson. So obviously rock and roll music is influenced by the devil. And why would you bring the devil into a sacred space? How would we respond to that? You're kidding, right? No, no, that's, that's, a no, that's how I would respond. That's, that's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, my response. that is the response the story. I, I don't know. I think, the, I mean, the king of rock and roll was born in a gospel singing choir. Like he was gospel before he became the king of rock and roll. But God uses broken people all the time. Right. If, if we're going to disqualify somebody based on where they came or what they've done in their past or even what they do in the future and say that, that God can't use a broken person, guys, we're all out. I mean, there's yeah. nobody left. So, I mean, you know, grace, you know, love, second chances, God works through the brokenness in all of us. That's just not a really good argument for, for keeping certain music out. And, and, and that's the argument you sometimes hear for keeping people out, too. They're, they're too broken to enter this space because this is a sacred space. It's the same thing that we hear all the time, and, and I, I hear it all the time from, from commentators and whatnot. When we start drawing lines, we're going to find Jesus on the other side. So beware. And it goes for lots of different things. People and music and places. Just to, we, something we could cut if we want to discuss it. Isn't to a deep theology, isn't the devil really just an aspect of God to be straight? I was going to go there. I mean, there's people that, you know, you look at Judas. Was Judas evil or was Jesus perform? Or did I say that right? Judas. Was Judas performing a function required for the redemptive purpose? Is Satan serving God and doing exactly what God wanted him to do? If everything follows God's plan, purpose, so to speak, mm -hmm. is he... And this is where I say, guys, you're way out of your pay grade. We can theologically discuss this, then we think we're up there with God. I, I'm not even going to go there. Um, sure. Yeah, but, but you can go there. But you all looked at me, so I felt like. <laughs> well, I think it's it's been well explored. I think you're you're a big fan of Neil Gaiman's work, mm -hmm. the original Sandman and the Lucifer character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that you know, again, I'm going back to television because that's pretty much where all of my knowledge comes from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really explores the fact that the devil isn't evil. The devil is an aspect of us, you know, and maybe we're broken, and you know. It's not that it should be disallowed, it's that it should be embraced, fixed, helped. I don't know the right the right terminology for where you where you try to take those things that people consider evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Biblically we, we I mean the devil in the Old Testament was was the advocate at one point, uh, one of the counsel, you know, that in Job. Um, mm -hmm. but but when you look at Paul, um, there is there is a, a huge cosmic battle, almost like the Avengers and all those, you know, a huge cosmic battle between between good and evil, between God and, and what's evil. And we're just little pieces caught in the middle. So it wouldn't be a situation as, I mean, there is a duality. Now, whether you, you know, you argue that's biblical or that's more Greek, you know, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, I don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, this is probably a good time to wrap it up. So uh, why don't we go around and last words? I'm in favor. Keep up with the secular music. <laughs> Likewise, I um, am tired of hymns. I, I got tired of hymns a long time ago. Like I said, I was 
in the church choir as a child, and there were songs I absolutely loved to sing, but the regular songs from the hymnal never, you know, stopped speaking to me quite, quite, quite early on. I thoroughly enjoy hearing a lot of secular music. The stuff that we played a few weeks ago was, was one of my favorite times being here in years. You know, we played Alice Cooper, we played Metallica. This is the stuff I listen to every day, and I got to play the church. I mean, how cool was that? And that was all relevant to the message, which makes it even cooler. Well, I think you said something that was really important just a second ago, Andy. Uh, you had said, when it stops it being relevant to me, when I stop hearing it. And that's, that's, I think, why it's important to be open-minded to all forms of music if you are bringing music into a church of any sort, is if it can't move the needle, if it can't make people feel something, no, no need to do it. I think that's my that's my meter on any work of art. Yeah, is uh, I used to call it the good movie feeling. Mm-hmm. Some movies you you leave and it, yeah, fine. I saw a movie. Other movies you leave torn between laughter and tears and elated. Mm-hmm. And we've had many performances from our band here that bring everybody to those points. Mm-hmm. And you know, with just you know music we all heard before, but performed in the right context you know, having been part of the message, it, it, you know, it brings more power. And it's going to be different songs for different people at different times. It's amazing how, you know, something sung or said speaks to, to people in different ways just when they need, when they need to hear it. Um, yeah, this idea that God works, I mean, when we, when we produce our best, God is working in that. And, and instead, of, instead of trying to say we should or shouldn't be using certain songs, we need to be curious. And, and ask questions. How can we use this song? How can we use this this creation to glorify God? Yeah. And if we and if we ask those kinds of questions, then I think we're always we're always going to be focused on the on the right thing. For the record, it wasn't Bob Dylan. It was Pete Seeger that wrote "Turn, Turn, Turn." Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was the birds that sang it, right? Yes. Birds sang it, but it was Pete Seeger. I was thinking of a different bird song that Dylan wrote. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight. It was a very good discussion. Our first. Discussion podcast, I think, went very well. So uh, thank you all. John, our sound engineer, any last words? Nope. Everything worked out great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and it gave you something to think about. Faith for All would like to thank Todd Mazzara, Mike O'Malley, Andy Morin, Nicole Morin, Jeff Wanderson and Pastor Dana O'Brien for their participation, and special thanks to sound engineer supreme John Yazardo for his hard work in making us sound good. Come back next week when we will be starting Pastor Dana's sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. 
Thank you for joining us.